I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this edition, we talk to Shane Bond about his life and cricketing career. We hear from the man who revolutionised the high jump, Dick Fosbury. We preview the Fastnet Netball World Series with Grace Rasmussen and Kirk Penny reflects on his chasing of his NBA basketball dream. The Black Caps have the chance to create New Zealand cricket history, being on the verge of a series win in India for the first time. Going into the third and deciding test at Nagpur, the series is level at nil all after the first two tests were drawn. Few would have expected the Black Caps to be in this situation where they could win the series after their disastrous tour of Bangladesh. But the former New Zealand fast bowler Shane Bond says they're capable of winning. I spoke to him about the Indian tour and his cricketing career as he's just published a book called Looking Back. In terms of the India, I think we always tend to play our best cricket when our backs are against the wall and I think probably went over to Bangladesh, obviously coming out of winter, but probably more importantly a little bit complacent and thought we were just going to roll over them. Um, and obviously got a shock and now the public sort of up and an uproar and the team's got their backs against the wall and they've responded well and I think hopefully the guys can continue the sort of um, level of cricket for the rest of the summer because that's what the team's capable of. They've proved themselves two draws I suppose the danger and it seems to be in the past with New Zealand teams is they get to that point where they show that they can compete and that seems to be enough. Yeah I think that's, that'll be the disappointing thing is people might say two draws is good but they're in positions where they could have won two games and could be 2-0 up so I suppose that's the big difference between a middle of the road team and being a team that's right up there in the world is you'd, you'd finish those games off and you'd win them so I suppose it's a, it's a it's a good start leading into a home summer, and, and if we play at that level at home, then we should be too good for Pakistan, and that'll be good momentum going to the World Cup. What do you reckon the Indian side's feeling? How much pressure are they going to be under top-ranked team in the world, and they've got two draws after beating the Aussies 2-0? Yeah, I suppose they, they may have come off and been a little bit complacent about playing us, and it's reflected, but I, regardless of we, whether we win or no, lose, the team's always respected and always tough. We're always a tough team to beat, so you know India will be under some pressure. Um, I'm sure the wickets are going to turn a little bit more than what we've seen for the next game, so it's going to be a tough challenge. Do you miss it? I don't miss playing, no, but I, it's and it's still weird watching, you know, you still think, oh, I'd love to be out there playing. I, test cricket's what I miss the most. I love the four-day vision, but obviously couldn't stay on the park when I played it, so that's the most disappointing thing. I would have loved to have played more, played games in India and experienced test cricket in India and things like that. Do you look back, and, and I mean, was it 87 test wickets, the fact you didn't get to 100, or... Are there other things in the game that you may have wanted to achieve that didn't get the opportunity? Is, is there one thing or a couple of things that maybe play on your mind? Oh, I would love to have got to 100 test wickets. That's one thing I would have loved. So that was, and I would just have loved to have played 30 tests to, to have a decent sort of a long, longish career, I suppose, in terms of New Zealand. Otherwise, I was happy, I suppose, um, even though I was in and out, I think I was pleased with just the way I played, that when I was in, I at least played well. You talked about the work ethic of, of some of the, the guys you were disappointed in or didn't feel it was they were up to it? I think um, that's the th- like people always talk about us just being a team of 
um, battlers really, you know, not a lot of talent, but we work really hard. And I've always felt that we're actually an extremely talented team that probably could have worked harder. And I think, you know, there's, especially the 07 World Cup, I thought there was a real chance for us to win the tournament. And the team, I think, in general, I think probably underachieves a little bit for the talent that we have. And I think because we have limited talent, sometimes you don't get pushed in your position as hard as what you should do, so you get complacent. And I think the team, even though they're playing well in India, still haven't reached their potential. And I think if everybody put in as much work as they could and, you know, prepared as 100% as hard as they could and we had everyone fit, then there's no reason why we could be one of the top teams in the world. What you want is guys at home scoring big runs so that those, the other guys who are actually in the national team know they have to score to keep their place in the team. And I suppose it's the same for the bowlers. You want guys at home putting pressure. And I think when you get that pressure and that, that um, philosophy of excellence running through all the cricket, then that will always breed success in the top. And sometimes I think guys have got, got in the team, talked about very talented, got complacent and, and never really got the best out of themselves. And I suppose that's what you want to see is get guys getting their best out of themselves. At what point did you decide you were going to be a fast bowler? Oh, ever since I started, picked up a cricket ball, I, was, I don't know why, but that's, I suppose it's just what I could do, so that's what I wanted to do. The, I think you mentioned there was a point, though, where you went sort of from being, I suppose, medium-fast <clears throat> to fast. What, what was that, what was the turning point? Um, I, I suppose, in terms of my age, I always had the ability to bowl quick. I think what, what happened is when I had um, the job in the police, I had something to fall back on, and I think I had a better appreciation for cricket. Because it was sort of amateur back then, and if you got injured, you had nothing, and you were, you're, you know, you're on the bones of your backside. When I had a job to fall back on, it was like, oh, I've got nothing to lose here, so every day I go out, I'm going to bowl as fast as I can. So it was simply a change of attitude, and I probably always had the genes to do it, but the attitude was the biggest shift. You're not the model fast bowler. You haven't got the gold dangler. You haven't got the, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can string a few words together. Yeah. You can, what was it, do you think, that made you that? Oh, just my personality. I think I've always been reasonably introverted, especially younger. I'm a lot more outgoing than I was um, when I was younger. Like any kid growing up, you worry about stuff that you shouldn't really worry about. And I think as I've got older, I've just realised that stuff like that doesn't matter. And I've been understand who I am and comfortable in my own skin. We're back there, I suppose I felt had an inferiority complex about myself that I wasn't good enough and had a bad dress sense and stuff like that, so I never felt like I fitted in. So I think as I've got older and wiser, I've just, um, yeah, as I say, and I've worked hard and I'm confident in what I was doing, then it just made it easier. But it's just never been me. I think I've understood that having sledging and stuff was, was not my cup of tea and I tried to just focus on what I did well and for me that was just staying quiet and just... Um, you know, just trying to concentrate on what I'm doing. I was surprised no one had a real go at me when I was playing, like because I never had anyone in my career have a real chip at me, and I thought someone might have had a go at me to try and see if that affected me or not, but I, was, I suppose I was lucky no one did. You mean when you were bowling too? Yeah, though? when I was bowling, no one, no one tried to engage me in verbals or put me off like that, which I, I suppose is a little bit surprising. What would you be, your response have been, do you think? You oh, probably a beamer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure. <laughs> the series, 2001, was it? And that, that VB series yeah. in, in Australia. Do you think that was sort of your international turning point? Yeah, I'd played a couple of tests against Australia and Bangladesh and competed against Aussie, but, you know, I hadn't done that well. And Bangladesh, well, you sort of expected to do well against them. They weren't that good back then. Um, And then Aussie, I suppose, I was just lucky. You know, I just charged and tried to bowl flat out, and I got some wickets, and with wickets came confidence. And then I got Adam out, um, Gilchrist out, and he was like the... The turning point because I saw him as the shining light of the Australian batting lineup, and by knocking him over, sort of 
was like, oh, I'm good to go now. You know, I'm, I've arrived and I can compete here. So, yeah, that's the. I suppose that's the one thing is you need a little bit of luck when you start. I was lucky I got the wickets and got the confidence behind me to, to just keep going. There's a fair bit of cricket snobbery, isn't there, that goes on, especially secondary school level. You mentioned that in your book about Christchurch, but it's the same round round the country. Yeah. How much of a, an impact does that have on maybe younger guys getting into the game that they're simply put off by, by that or don't get recognised because of that? Yeah, I suppose you just want to you hope that that sort of network stuff, because it's a small place and parents play a huge role, they can be, you know, not only parents, but they can be selectors and obviously you don't want to have bias and things like that. And I suppose what I learnt is sometimes knockback, knock, knockbacks are some of the best things for you because it, it gives you a little bit of resilience. You know, in terms of cricket, it's tough with the scoring. I'd, I think it's interesting to watch teams like CD and ND who... Uh, some of the stronger teams around the country, they play with men from a younger age. And I think that's one thing I'd love to see in the big cities is almost taking out of the schools and put back into clubs all the players, make the clubs bigger and stronger, but also keep guys in line and realise that you know they're playing with adults as have better role models. And also, you know, if you're 14 and you're good enough for senior cricket, well, you play it, and that will lift the standard of cricket as well. What about your future? You're, co- you're coaching, doing some bowling coaching now. Yeah. Um, no thoughts of going back to the police? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I've got a few mates in the police, and from their stories, there's no chance of me going back in. No, I've got, um, coming out with CD, I'm doing some assistant coaching with them for the 2020 program, which is I'm really looking forward to. Coaching's where I'd love to um, head down, and, and, you know, my ambitions have always been high, so I'd love to get involved with a first-class team, hopefully work my way up to a national team. So Black Caps coach in the future would be something you'd... Love to, mate, yeah. I think I'd, you know, that, I love that level of cricket, you know, playing against the best players, um, and being involved in, you know, excellence, so I'd love to be involved in that level. That's former New Zealand fast bowler Shane Bond. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The man who revolutionised the high jump, American Dick Fosbury, has been in New Zealand this week. It's part of a celebration for New Zealand's golden girls. Olympic gold medalists Sarah Alma, Barbara Kendall, Georgina and Caroline Everswindell, Yvette Williams and Valerie Veeley. Fosbury won the Olympic gold medal for the high jump at the Mexico Olympics in 1968 using his controversial Fosbury flop method, where he went over the bar backwards. It's now the standard high jumping technique used around the world. Dick Fosbury told me how he came up with his unique style. It's the classic story in in sports of of survival. Uh, I uh, had learned a technique called the scissor style that was was easy for a, a taller jumper uh, and and uh, simple to learn and to use, but it was limiting in uh, in the potential height that I could ever clear. So uh, <clears throat> I used that as a young boy. When I reached high school, my coach explained the limitations of the technique, and, and he tried to teach me the classic style, but I was a complete failure at it and reverted back to uh, the scissor style and and in order to survive in my sport I had to transform the technique into something that was more modern more efficient and and I went from sitting over the bar to laying out flat on my back and and then gradually over the next two years uh, turning my back to the bar and arching over the bar and and kicking my heels over at the last minute. So it was a technique that I suppose developed over a period of time it didn't sort of come to you in a in a blinding light. 
Yeah, it, it was, you know, there was one day that was revolutionary going from sitting on the bar to laying out flat, and, and I improved by 15 centimeters that one day, but the technique was, was developed in competition, so there was no plan or concept. It was simply done by feel and intuition, and thankfully, I you know, I found all the elements uh, and made it work for me. It wasn't readily accepted, though, was it? Well, it wasn't. It, you know, at first the coaches were going through the rule book to see if it was legal, and and when they determined that, they were still skeptical because it was it was so radically different from the straddle technique or the belly roll where the jumper goes over on their stomach uh, to the bar. So I, there were a lot of skeptics, but, you know, I had one of those qualities of a of a successful athlete and and that is I was very stubborn and I was determined <laughs> uh to to do the best I could with what I had and even though I was different uh I you know I kind of enjoyed that part of it but uh most importantly I I was able to be competitive it was called the flop I read because of a journalist in a newspaper described it as a fish flopping onto a boat after it's been caught. Yeah, it's well, it wasn't exactly that. It, it, the the caption in the newspaper while I was in high school read that Fosbury flops over bar, <clears throat> and and to me the the analogy was growing up so close to the Pacific Ocean uh, in Oregon was was just that you know it's similar to the action uh of a fish that w- once you land them you know they're flopping on the in the boat or on the on the river bank and and uh they're arching their their back and it's it looks like the same action what would you have called it if you had the chance to rename it or would you want to no i would <laughs> I actually named it, uh, gave the name to a journalist uh, when I was being interviewed and started to win some meets after I had first cleared seven feet. And uh, I, for a couple reasons, number one, the alliteration was, uh, you know, was a good idea, but I I also, I like the conflict. Because it, a flop is not considered to be a success, and yet I was winning with it. So I liked the irony and of the term or, or the usage of the language, uh, and I I felt that you know this could be me. At what point did you get the feeling that you'd revolutionized the sport? Not for many years. <laughs> I knew that I had something that I could do. I, I thought that maybe it. You know, a couple other jumpers might be able to use this technique. I had no idea that this would become universal, and and uh, it wasn't until many years later that we started to see the trend. And it, it was really the kids that had watched me at the, the Olympic Games, which was televised around the world. They were the ones that changed the changed the event. So it was the next generation as opposed to your um, yeah. peers that were... Yeah, exactly. You know, the uh, most of the elite jumpers in those days <clears throat> had spent they had invested hundreds and hundreds of hours and and hundreds of attempts uh 
perfecting their technique. They were not going to just leave that behind and try something that was still a bit unproven uh, just because one person did it. But it was the risk takers, you know, the new new jumpers coming up that were willing to change. And and uh, and sure enough, you know, four years later in in '72 in Munich. Uh, you know, the medalists were using the flop technique. I know you've had some health problems with with cancer and a bad back, but when was the last time you actually jumped? Yes, in uh, in '99, uh, I, I competed at the Worlds in in '98 uh, Masters competition, and '99 uh, I did a demonstration uh, exhibition in Greece. Uh, so that was really the last time that I did anything serious and I I do track camps where I work with kids and teach them to uh to use the style and and so I was jumping a little bit at the camps but nothing serious and uh but I I'm I'm kind of relieved my jumping days are over because it, it was it was never easy. It's always painful, and and uh, the older you get, to try to get off the ground is is a bit of a challenge. How high do you think that the world record can go? Because what it must what's two forty five? Yes, you know, I predicted twenty five or so years ago that I felt in my lifetime we could see uh, two meters fifty, and and it was just based on my intuition and and my just what I felt like, uh, how high I could jump versus the athletes that I observed in playing basketball and and other better athletes than I, and and two meters fifty I think is is what we'll see that that could last for a long time. Can you see the sport being revolutionised in, in the same way again? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, we're, we're, we continue to be creative in sports, and, and, and it, there's a couple ways to go. I don't know that there's another style that would be better than the flop technique simply because of the way that, that our body uh, can bend uh, about the back axis or, or arch our backs. Uh, so I think I think that's the ultimate technique uh, for a long time until we change the rules of the game. In in what way? Well, for example, you could allow jumpers to go off at two feet instead of one, as gymnasts do when they do a back over or whatever it's called. And, you know, I mean, that would be one way. And I, I think clearly people have already demonstrated they could easily go over seven and a half to eight feet. So who knows? It's always fun for the imagination, but difficult to really predict why we would be compelled to change the rules unless it simply loses interest. That's Olympic gold medal winning high jumper Dick Fosbury. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Nepal's answer to 2020 cricket and Sevens rugby. Fastnet has its second international tournament this weekend in England. New Zealand won the inaugural tournament last year, but this year's team has only one silver fern in Grace Rasmussen. She's not a regular starter, with the tournament being used as a development opportunity for players that tear below the silver ferns. 
Grace Rasmussen spoke to Richard Wayne about the tournament and her expectations. I'm putting a bit of practice um, with the two-point shooting. Obviously, you know, it's a big thing with fast net, and obviously if it comes down to the opportunity to shoot it, I, I'm got no qualms of doing that, so yeah, no, definitely going to put up the two points if the, the opportunity arises. My yeah. first position is goal attack, back up wing attack, and then if need be, um, as there's only three shooters in this team, that oh, yeah, I will slot into that goal shoot position if I get the opportunity. So there might well be, with only three goal shoot- shooters, yeah, options, shooters. Then, then there might there might well be a need for you to step up and do the two-pointers. Definitely, and I think that we've trained that um, just with the three shooters, we're all fairly short, so having that option as me going in that goal shoot is, is definitely there and um, I think that me, Alan and Anna is um, coming along quite well, the combination, so yeah, no, just definitely um, obviously working on that and building on it. Have you played much of the fast net before? No, I haven't. I actually um, got named as a training partner last year with the Ferns, so I was actually watching. I didn't actually get to take part, but yeah, definitely looking forward to actually getting out there and playing against international players, which would be quite quite good. Of course, you guys are the defending champions, but I understand that England actually play a county's fast net, so they might have a lot more experience at this form of the game than, than you. They won't be easy, will they? Yeah, I think they do, and obviously they're the ones that have developed the game, and you know it's always based over there, so they've got more opportunity to play it. And But yeah, definitely looking forward to the opportunity to sort of go out there and tactically put a game plan together and executing that quite well. And uh, you're the only current Silver Fern in, in the team and of yeah. course you're the defending champions and here yeah. you are, you haven't played it too much, so no pressure. <laughs> yeah, definitely no pressure there, but you know, obviously we've got a, a great bunch of girls that have got definitely the strengths um, to sort of put that um, winning title combination together and I think that, it, that it's coming quite well. And this is a good opportunity for you as well to step up and, and show you know that you're ready to, to make yourself a, a regular member, I suppose, at the, at the top level of the Silver Ferns. Yeah, definitely, and that's um, another reason why I come away with the team is just to get that exposure and play, um, get more game time against international players. So, you know, I definitely think that'll help in towards getting more court time in it with the Silver Ferns. Yeah. And you, you've got your sister in here, your older sister in, yeah. in the squad as well. <laughs> yeah, the older sister Rachel um, obviously made the team as well. So, you know, definitely stoked about that. And it always helps, you know, going away with family uh, these long trips away. And obviously, I've got my brother over uh, Dale playing overseas at the moment so he'll be coming down and watching some of the games which will be quite nice. Do you think um, Australia are, are going to be the, the main threat or uh, England I suppose at home aren't going to be easy either? Um, I don't think any of you know, the opposition will take lightly. Um, obviously Australia's got you know developing players coming through and I've got, I think we've got a, quite a strong lineup, um, as you know, as well as England so definitely um, not to take anyone lightly. You've got the likes of Jamaica with the height and everything so definitely um, going to go out there and you know give it our best and hopefully come out with the win. And uh, you're sweating now after this, it's a sweat. Yeah, and, uh, it's, no, it's, it's, um, it's quite a fast game, isn't it? I mean, it's called fast net for a reason. Yeah. And how's, how are the fitness levels in yourself and the squad? It is shorter um, compared to the traditional game of you know the 15-minute quarters, but it's definitely, definitely intense, a lot more intenser, I think. Um, and obviously, if you score... Um, the centre pass has gone to the opposition team, so you're working hard on defence, you know, if you're obviously up in the game. So, you know, it's definitely intense and, you know, thoroughly enjoying it at the moment. That's Grace Rasmussen talking to Richard Wayne. The New Zealand Breakers guard Kirk Penny is one of only two New Zealanders to have played in American basketball's NBA. The other, of course, is Sean Marks. Penny briefly played for Miami and had four games for the Clippers in Los Angeles in 2004 before he was released. After this year's World Champs in Turkey, where he was the tournament's second highest scorer, he got another chance, an invitation to join the Spurs veterans camp in San Antonio. The 29-year-old didn't make it past the pre-season stage, though, so he's back on the Breakers roster. Penny will play his first game for the Breakers this week, and he told Murray Williams he isn't interested in going back to Europe to play, and his time in Texas hasn't been unsettling.
just slid back in and and we've all shared the same focus and it's great just to um, to have a clear goal. I, th- I feel like um, from the release um, from the Spurs and then with the Italian trip uh, for my brother's wedding coming in, you know, not the, the greatest of times. It was great to be there for my brother and I'm, I'm so glad I was there. But now the, the focus can shift to Wollongong and, and this team and, and the great position we're in to start the season. When you were in the States, uh, looking at the, 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 the state of sport in general there with the economy being in the shape that it's in with 10% unemployment, record mortgage foreclosures and that sort of thing. Is that being reflected in attendances at the the games that you're able to see in the NBA? Oh, there's a massive impact on the NBA and you know that by the imminent lockout next year just where owners and the players union can't agree on um, salary cap issues and uh, a lot of uh, economic issues so yeah you do see it affected and also with roster spots availability of the 30 teams most teams are only keeping 13 or 14 guys to start the season and where usually they might keep 14 or 15 so there's one or two jobs in every team which adds up to be 30 to 60 jobs that aren't there that usually would be there so um, there's a lot of ways that they're trying to cut back on costs and um, yeah obviously the economic um, crisis is affecting every every part of um, and the workforce. So at another time your display at the the World Championships might have been uh, more successful in in, in landing you something over there than having to go there with uh, the the economy being as bad as it is and people's expectations being tightened because of that. Yeah, I think that's very much could be a part of it. Also the fact that the World Championships are so late and everyone's already kind of guaranteed their players because the season's about to start. So, you know, timing's so important. You need a lot of things to work with you. I think especially coming from this league and the, the lack of exposure we unfortunately get but um, that's a part of it and that's something that you know, I, I put myself out there to see what would happen and, and as it was you know, things didn't work the way that I had initially hoped for, however like with any um, you know, anything like that you respond and you just look at what's going to be next for you and that, that's where the focus for me is gladly shifted to the New Zealand Breakers and playing well and going this Friday. You haven't looked at, the, at Europe again? No, not this year. No, I'm, uh, the, the commitment was always to come back to the Breakers if the NBA didn't work out. And as far as Wollongong goes, top of the table clash, your first home game. You guys are coming off a pretty tough road trip where I guess it wasn't a great surprise that you didn't win in Perth. But how much do you think that might have kind of eased the pressure on you in terms of the um, the long run of wins you'd had? And I can't really comment on the Adelaide and Perth games. I, w- I wasn't there and um, I'm only getting feedback from the guys and the coaches. All I can really talk about is Wollongong. You know, obviously, I've got, to, I've got to say that because I'm excited to play in this game and um, that's kind of the positive outlook I have on it. I'm just excited to be at home and, and um, you know, be a part of the team again and, and looking forward to getting on court and just playing. You'll be uh, reacquainting yourself with a couple of former uh, breakers down the road as well, won't you? So w- mm-hmm. they look to have a pretty uh, impressive team in terms of uh, height, I guess, compared to you guys. How much of an advantage does, does that give them, given the fact that you're also, you might not be as tall, but you play a very fast-breaking game? Yeah, I think it'll be an exciting game, and I think um, I just hope the fans understand that and they come out to support us and watch it. Yeah, they've got a couple of ex-breakers who are playing very well, especially Oscar. He's done a great job for them. And I'm really glad to see that, um, and we're, we're looking forward to the challenge of them coming in. And you know, it's, it's going to be exciting, a very exciting game, and um, they can play fast pace as well, even though they are quite tall. So, you know, I don't know we'll have our advantages and we'll, we'll square off, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. What do you make of uh, their importer, Gary Irvin? Have you, do you know much about him? 
I've, I've seen pretty minimal tape on him, but um, from what I have seen, he's very, very quick and um, handles the ball well, right and left, and uses the, the on-ball well. So that'll be you know, something we'll obviously have to key on, as every team is, because he's scoring a lot of points, and he's getting a lot of dimes as well, making you know, good assists. So we'll have to focus on him and understand that he's a key to their team, as their point guards seem to be in Wollongong. You know, in the past, they've always had pretty good point guards, so he'll run the show, and, and getting it out of his, his hands will be essential for us. But you've also been pretty strong in recent years in point guard position yourselves, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we have, we have, and we, we continue to be with Kevin and CJ and Paulie all being able to play the point guard role, and, um, you know, it'll be, it'll, it's great for us to go against them, and, um, and we're, we're looking forward to it. What have you made of uh, what you've seen of the, the league so far this year? I mean, for you guys, starting off with uh, one loss, six mm-hmm. rounds into it, that must be a, a pretty nice feeling. Yeah, I think... Guys have played great and different guys have stepped up on so many occasions. Young, the young guys have really flourished this year in the style of play and the environment that's been created. And it's a very exciting time for the, for the team and for all the fans that support the Breakers. And, and um, we're looking forward to you know, doing our very best at keeping it going and uh, just keeping a level head throughout. That's Kirk Penny talking to Murray Williams. And that's extra time for this week. Remember, you can get sports news anytime on our website. Until our next edition. I'm Stephen Houston. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.